It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a great show. I promise you tonight, we try to do shows Monday, Wednesday, and Friday right here on Facebook Live and wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Bubba, we've got a very special guest tonight. Absolutely. Very excited to have him back on the program. We caught up with him multiple times during the 2019 season. Welcome back, Rennie and Golia from ESPN. Rennie, glad you could be with us. Thanks for having me, guys. And now we got a little video to go with it, too, so good stuff. We're moving yeah. up in the world, Rennie. Yeah. Uh, Rennie, you actually are a, a detective by day and sports analyst for football by night. Uh, how are things down in Orlando? And ask you before we get started with football. Uh, the funny thing is, if you ask my bosses or, or my coworkers in the Orlando police, they think I'm a part-time cop and a full-time broadcaster. So things are good. I think, like I was telling you guys off air, um, you know, we I haven't missed a day of work uh, since the uh, coronavirus has happened, and so we've been busy. Crime was down a little bit, but it's back up there. So it's kind of been surreal for me and my partners because, you know, I work every day, uh, interviewing people, going to hospitals, going to people's houses, um, interviewing people, arresting people. So, you know, my day-to-day job hasn't changed. We're social distancing and doing what we're supposed to do. But uh, been to work every day. I haven't been able to sit home, I guess, like everyone else, which is kind of probably a blessing because people are just kind of cooped up, ready to get out. And, of course, Orlando, weather has been really good here, been really warm, and I think that's helped, and uh, people are out and about. And, of course, we opened up our, our uh, state even more so today. So I think almost all businesses are open, um, even non-essentials, and I think restaurants went to 50% capacity today. So we're, we're moving in the right direction. And noticing there are no, there's no accident, it's tourist season. So being in the month of May, uh, but right before Memorial Day, you better get your act together, right? As far as, uh, you're trying to make money and you look at between now and Labor Day, that's your biggest time, right? I would think it is. Right? Yeah. And it's good for the restaurants, but I mean, it, it's so hard for, you know, obviously my, uh, boss, if you will, Walt Disney World closed mm-hmm. down. I think they're just starting to open up some restaurants. Universal starting to open up their restaurants. But of course, with the, uh, yeah. with the parks being closed, that's big. And then of course, International Drive here in Orlando. Uh, a bunch of conferences, all that kind of stuff um, is canceled. So it, it's tough on a lot of different people, a lot of different I- industries. But we're, I think as a country, I think we're moving in the right direction. And as we move towards summer here, uh, I think we're going to be in good shape. I want to ask you as far as uh, another non-football question, what about Walt Disney World Universal? Are you hearing a timetable whenever they're going to open up? I mean, my kids are – it's funny, now that we can't go, this is when they want to go the most. Yeah, right. I know that Yeah, I know that the state has reached out to them and said, Hey, give us your plan of how you want to open, what you're gonna do, so forth and so on. So, you know, there's a lot of smart people, people that make a, a lot of money um putting their heads together and, and they'll figure it out and the, and they'll get it open. There's no doubt about it. Um but I think everyone's just frustrated. I think state to state, everyone's frustrated and but, you know, I think everyone's done their part, really. We've done an excellent job, I think, as a nation, flattening the curve, right? That's what we were told. Let's flatten that curve. Let's get the hospital um, rooms open. Let's not, you know, flood the hospitals. And I think as a nation, I'm really proud, boy. I tell you, state to state, everybody did what they were supposed to do. And I think we're moving to the next step um, in this country. Yeah, that's one of those things. Um, so many people, um, like we discussed off the air, are so frustrated uh, having been cooped up for two plus months now. And, um, and I think, I mean, there's so many folks, just their frustration and that, um, are just talking about the, um, 
the social distancing and um, the stay at home orders and all those things and just the impact it's had that, I mean, we really don't know uh, whether uh, how things would have turned out had we not done these steps. I mean, so it, it's easy to say one thing and be frustrated, but, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to say that than, um, than actually be truthful. Yeah. And, and, and uh, listen, I understand everyone's frustrated. And I would say it's okay to be frustrated, but keep doing the things we talked about. Still social distance. If, you, if you're in a, an environment where you should wear a mask, put the mask on. It's, it's not going to hurt anyone. And, and keep, you can be frustrated and aggravated and still social distance and still do your part. And I think for the most part, even when you see people protesting for the most part on TV, they're kind of doing the right thing. And it's just, listen, it, 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 it's easy for me to sit here. I, I haven't lost any pay, right? I'm working every day. Uh, but there's a lot of Americans, right, that lost their jobs uh, and really a lot of people that are going to lose their livelihoods, their businesses that they put so much in. So you understand the frustration and it's that fine line between doing the right thing um, and then getting back to business and, and getting your income going again. And, and you know, I don't envy any of the, uh, the, the leaders out there that are trying to navigate this. It's not a simple equation. But as I sit back, in my opinion, as I look at it, I think everyone's done a pretty good job. I mean, you can nitpick one way or the other, but we're going in the right direction. And I think that's, that's the most important thing. And like you're saying, uh, Dave and I, we're, we're both blessed. Like you're referencing uh, with your job situation to, to still have that income coming in. I'm a teacher and Dave works at a hospital. So, so yeah, we're def- definitely very fortunate. And then uh, you just have to do your best to see someone else's perspective. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's, wonder, sorry, go ahead, Dave. I just want to ask you, you see the, uh, in the background there is Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. This is pretty much your, your view of Dowdy Ficklin of the, uh, yeah. certainly the south side. One of the, uh, where the press box is, uh, the Town Bank Tower as we know it now. I wanted to ask you as far as your, uh, thoughts on, obviously I feel like we're going to have a football season. My question yeah, to yeah. you is, uh, do you feel like we're going to have, uh, where we're going to have like checkpoints or we're going to have what people, ch- temperatures? Do we, do you think we, I feel like we should wear a mask and, if we have to go there a few hours, kind of like what the we had to do after 9-11 for sure. uh, the airports, we had to go a few hours early. If that's what we have to do to see a college football game, I'm all for it. I, I mean, I agree with you whole, wholeheartedly, but that's the million-dollar question. So I have no inside knowledge whatsoever. I have been in close contact uh, with my direct boss at ESPN, and he's been awesome. And they're kind of all in the same, you know, same area we are. And people forget, like, when, when, when companies got shut down and people got sent home, that's all the, the bosses at ESPN and all the people that are going to hopefully get the football season ready. But, but I agree with you. Um, I, in my opinion, uh, I think we are moving in the right direction. And, and if I was a betting man, we are going to have football and I would even go further and say, we're going to have football on time. But as you just hit, will there be fans or won't there be fans? If there is fans, how many fans will we have? And, and what will their checkpoints, will there be, um, mask and, and all that stuff. And then the other interesting thing is, as we've now seen it in our country, it's so diverse state to state, right? It's different state to state. Florida down here where I am, we're, we're doing really well. Um, other states are not doing as good, but they're going in the right direction. The, the, the blessing that we all have for, as football fans, we probably have a good, May to June, June, July, we have a good 60 days, 65 days, probably maybe even 70 days to when I think football players would have to be back on campus to just start doing stuff. I think the, the deadline they gave, the, the consensus they came to is about six weeks before um, the, the first game, which is the last week in August. So we have time is on our side, I think, in the direction we're going. 
So my opinion, again, no inside knowledge whatsoever. It's just my humble opinion. We will have college football. We'll have it on time. What I am just don't know, and you just said, will there be fans or won't there? And that, I think that's the million-dollar question. Hey, along the lines of what you're saying as far as fans, no fans, down in your uh, down in your neck of the woods, down, down at the south in Miami, um, did you see that proposal that the Dolphins um, put out there within the last week or two as far as um, the way things could operate uh, for, for them with, with fans, uh, saying that it could be something like 15 or so thousand, and then they would – they uh, detailed the plan as far as where they would be seated and the distance between fans and all, all those sorts of things, traffic patterns going in and out of the stadium. And so, no, so 15,000, so a normal day for the Dolphins is what you're saying, right? Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, but no, that's what these organizations have to do. And the colleges are doing it too. They're getting their, if, if you will, game plans together. And you have to have a, a plan A, B, C, and D. You have to have it all. You have to run the gamut. And that's what the state is. The states are going to want. They're going to want your plans from everything, from not just security, but like you said, how you're going to drive in your traffic patterns, your patterns in. Maybe you you shut down, you know, gates, right? And, but I think, as you said, Bubba, it all depends on how many fans are you going to allow in a game. And and I, I made a joke, and hopefully I didn't offend any Dolphins fans. But at the college level, I mean, realistically, you could you could back off a lot of fans in a lot of stadiums and really you're not going to hurt their fan base and it, you know it is what it is i mean you know it's not a knock on the mac we do a lot of those matching games on tuesday wednesday thursday nights i mean there, there's hardly anyone in those stands i mean people just want to watch those games on tv so it depends i mean if you limit the fans obviously it's going to hurt the secs the accs the you know the big 10 big 12 all those conferences um but again we're moving in the right direction um and i like that organizations like the Dolphins, and, and they're all doing it, getting game plans together and see what the data and the science says when they're uh, ready to make those decisions. Sneak in on you here, Rennie. How you doing? Kyle, Kyle. Uh, joining you the doing, podcast. Better late than never. Wife had dinner ready, and uh, you know how that goes. You got to eat. I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Rennie, well, let's talk about the Pirates. I uh, want to get your thoughts uh, you, you saw year one to Mike Houston with uh, unfortunately four and eight, but there were a couple of games there. We let slip away the Temple game, and you could also argue the SMU game as well. Yeah. There were two games there. We could easily have been a 500 team with that close to six and six. What, what about you, Cincinnati, Dave? Cincinnati, Cincinnati, too. Another one. Yep. Listen, I'm going to use the cliche, and I've used it before, but it, but it, it's it's truthful, and it really is truthful at, at ECU, and that's. Uh, changing the culture, right? You hear coaches say it all the time. And, and Mike Houston, you know, I was fortunate enough. I covered Mike Houston a good amount at JMU. So I, I know what kind of coach he is. I've covered him now at, at ECU. And again, and people say, well, what does changing the culture mean? Well, what it means is if you have a 9 a.m. meeting, you're not lollygagging, getting in your seat at 8.59 or 8.59 and 30. You're there at 8.45. You're ready to go. Um, you, you do the little things right. And, and I think Really, for a few years, that's what ECU was missing. Just do the little things right, and everything else will take care of themselves. Listen, at the Division One level, at the big-time college football level, for the most part, you're going to get talent in there when you recruit, but they have to do the little things. you got to coach them up, and there's no doubt that, that Mike Houston is doing that. You know, I know there was some, as you guys just talked about, some results that could have went the other way, but 
I think as a team, they are going to get exponentially better next year. And always in year three, I think, is, is, the, is the magic year. Rudy, I don't know what's been talked about up here because uh, I'm joining late. So if it's already we, been touched on, I apologize. But we've been uh, talking about you, Kyle. We talked about me. Well, that's a hell of a topic. Um, we the, did transition to football, Kyle. Okay. Um, well, at East Carolina, while we're dealing with a bit of a budget problem, um, uh, projected ten million dollar loss this year, and uh, coming up, we may cut some sports. Um, a lot of other schools are going through it. Louisville cut a sport, Old Dominion. Um, Furman announced today they were cutting baseball. Um, uh, I believe Bowling Green did the same thing last yeah. week. Um, do, do, how I've seen it proposed um, that maybe uh, some of the non-Olympic sports, some of these conferences perhaps, non-Olympic sports, non-revenue sports, Olympic sports, perhaps go to regional play and then uh, – and then maybe just do conference tournaments for these spread out conferences like the American and Conference USA. Yeah. Do you think that's feasible? I think it is. I mean, I heard that too. They've talked about it here in Florida as well with all the Florida schools with the Olympic sports kind of doing regionalization. Listen, you're definitely going to save money, right? When you can just take a bus or a van to a venue a couple hours um, for your season, it, it, it helps out a lot, especially in a conference like the American where, you know, you're pretty much on a plane all the time. So it definitely will save money. And with what we're, what we're going through, um, it's unprecedented. So the school presidents, the school athletic directors, um, they're putting their heads together. They are. And I've already seen uh, in some conferences where they're shortening the seasons. They're shortening their conference championships if they're even having one at all. So it, it's, it's, just, it's an unfortunate situation for all those sports. Um, and, but to answer your question, yeah, I think they can get together in a regionalization part of it. And another thing that, that I hadn't thought about, of course, I played at UMass and, uh, you know, they're an independent, uh, a, a division one independent. So they, they rely a lot on those money games, right? And, and ECU will play some money games as well, not to the extent that UMass. And so next year, this is really interesting. They had a game. Well, they have a game if they still have it scheduled at Auburn. I think in November, it's that the SEC, when they take kind of that week off in November before their rivalry game, UMass is set to get paid $1.9 million. It's the highest payout uh, for an FBS team in history. That $1.9 million is going to help the UMass athletic department. I mean, they need it. I mean, it's budgeted in to help those sports that we were just talking about. If we don't have fans, guys, right, um, the, you're, you're probably not going to have that game. You're probably not going to have that payout. So it's going to be fascinating what happens and, and that's so that's another kind of side story to what's going on with some of these teams that are looking for these payouts that, that need them from these big schools. Rennie, um, taking a look at the Pirates and you, you were talking about the culture and how Mike Houston established that culture uh, four and eight, uh, not, not what the Pirates wanted in 2019, but at the same time, those four wins, uh, we took care of business against the teams that we should have beaten. And then we had those near misses that we've already yeah. referenced against Cincinnati and SMU and then had a game like USF where we kind of stubbed our toe and was disappointing where we thought we could win. But uh, taking a look at this ball club, I know you're very high on Holt Nailers and you have some very nice skill pieces on offense. You had three receivers coming back that are, are extremely proven and Blake Prohl, CJ Johnson and Tyler Sneed. So just talk about the Pirates on that side of the ball from what you know right now. Sure. Yeah. Skill, you know, for the last couple of years, really skill wise, I don't think ECU has a problem whatsoever. They have the talent 
offensively and with their skill positions. All those players you just mentioned, wide receiver spots. They had a couple nice running backs as well. And I believe, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think I saw right, just some, maybe some transfers coming in, maybe some uh, graduate transfers. And, 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 of course, Mike Houston knows the Carolinas really well. So he's going to recruit also. My thing, you know, the last couple of years that I've seen with ECU, and, and, I, and listen, it's not rocket science. I say if you see me or listen to me do any broadcast, I say it all the time. And I, I, I mean it wholeheartedly. I don't care what team you are. I don't care what level you are. You build your teams from the inside out. So you better start with your interior line play, both offensively and defense, and then build it out. They already have the pieces in place, I think, with their skill players, even defensively, too. I think they got some skill. It's really in the trenches, and I think that's where they have to concentrate on their recruiting. And if they do that, um, and and I think Holton Aylers is only going to get better as well. He he was still a young quarterback last year. And, you know, and it's not going to hurt them to go out and recruit and bring in some other quarterbacks. His competition is good uh, at the college level, especially for the quarterback. But, again, I think he has the ability to to sure up those interior lines and uh, and make – another step forward this year uh, with the upcoming season. Bubba, what is it with, with, with the, uh, with the grad transfer for map state at defensive end? And what is that 10 defensive linemen we're bringing in with freshmen, JUCOs and the grad transfer? Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say, Kyle. Um, the numbers uh, with the, with the recruiting class certainly reflect uh, those deficiencies that we've been discussing. And then you have uh, your, you referenced the uh, grad transfers, Rennie. Yep. Uh, you have grad transfers coming in. Um, a couple of skilled guys, Nigel Knott, defensive back out of Alabama, who's just a tremendous athlete and battled some injuries there. And then Chase Hayden, the running back from Arkansas. Uh, you knew if Brett Belima and um, that program was bringing him in, uh, the way they wanted to run the football, I really like what I saw of him on film. And, and he certainly produced when he had the opportunity and was one of their top two or three backs. And then the other three guys, like Kyle mentioned, Chris Willis of Appalachian, who battled an injury last year, and he was slated to start and had started the last half of the 2018 season. And then you have a couple of offensive linemen, one from NC State and then also one from North Carolina. And uh, at least one of those will be immediately eligible. We're hoping Avery Jones, the one from North Carolina, who has three years left, we're hoping to get a waiver pass for him with him being a local kid and everything that's going on. Yeah, and see, and I think that's a testament to Mike Houston and what he's done because you you see all those guys coming in. When you're at a Power 5 school, and this happens a lot, guys, where you're highly recruited, you go to a Power 5 school, and you just kind of get lost in the shuffle. I mean, you you look around, you're like, holy cow, you're at an Alabama or – in Arkansas and you're like everyone is talented here and it's just it's not that you're a bad player it's just you just can't find your niche so then you look to transfer and you're going to most likely go to a group of five school so those kids that are at those power five schools they probably have a choice of five ten fifteen if not more group of five schools they can go to so the fact that that Mike Houston is getting some of those guys to come to ECU that that means a lot and those are players I think that can step in and contribute right away, and you should see benefits. And, again, you hope you get that waiver, as you were talking about, for, for the local uh, young man. And uh, so I think uh, if you're an ECU fan, and, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your guys' broadcast, the future is bright. I think uh, if they can just make that step and get a couple more wins, I know you got, you know, everyone would like them to go 10-2 and two and you know go to a great bowl game. But if they can just get a couple bowl games, I think realistically, guys, I think a realistic goal is try to get to that six-win mark, right? Try to get to a bowl game, get some extra practices 
um, and just get some juice back, right? Life in the program and get the fans happy. And I think that's a realistic goal and something that they can achieve and shoot for. Hey, uh, Renny, right now our goal is just to have practice. So yeah, you're not, well, you're, you're right. I'm looking at the big picture, but you are a hundred percent right. Hey, Renny, you're right. Six and six would feel like 12 and 0 as bad as we've been. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, you know, and I, I tell you what, I've been doing ECU games probably since I'm trying to think the first time I've been up there, probably 2012, 2013, something in that, that range. Um, I love that stadium. I'm not just saying it because I'm all you guys. I always tell people, to me, out of all the, the group of five places I go, when I go to Dowdy Flick, to me, when, it, let me preface it by saying when the crowds are good, because we know what happens. You know, listen, when you're losing and your program's down, people don't show up. I mean, that, it's, that's not unique to ECU. That's everywhere. But when, when things are going and the energy's great and that crowd is pumping, and to me, it, it feels like an SEC stadium. It just really does. On, on a little smaller scale, but – but that's the vibe I get. It's oh, really right. and about the crowds, Rennie, to the little, little inside baseball. It wasn't just about losing. There's a lot of angry people about what happened with Ruffin McNeil that just, sure. have, just haven't came back. And, yeah. and um, I think it's time for him to come back. I think uh, the administration we have here now had nothing to do with what happened with Ruffin. And uh, God knows uh, Coach Houston and Ruffin are good friends. We had Ruffin on the podcast about two weeks ago. So, I mean, it's it's time, you know, if you're watching this in Pirate Nation, it's time to come back. Get your season tickets, too, by the way, $1-800-ECU-ECUPirates.com. Uh, Rennie, as far as the, the ball games are concerned, uh, let's talk about some other conferences, too. Uh, who do you sure. like in early on, the early, early look at the different conferences uh, off the cuff? Well, let's start with the American, since we're in the American with East Carolina. Hey, you're yeah. you're back of the woods. Huh? Uh USF and UCF, the Florida schools looking. So USF, who I saw in person uh, against ECU last year, I think they uh, very similar in that I think they got a lot of skill pieces as well, and I think they need to kind of build from that that inside uh, out mentality as well. And and the thing with the USF, you're in fertile recruiting ground, so you're always going to get the skill players in there, but you got to coach them up and you, you got to uh, get that that inside game going. But I think they will take another step up. I think they're going to be much better. I think UCF, once again, uh, it will be one of the teams to beat in the conference. Um, very interesting. Mackenzie Milton, of course, we all saw the catastrophic in- injury he had a few years ago at USF. Um, he's out throwing. The- it's amazing. I mean, the kid almost lost his leg, but he's out throwing the ball. Um, he's running on his leg. I mean, he wants to play. So that'll be an r- interesting story. But th- they're pretty much loaded again, I believe, as far as the American goes. So they'll be one to beat. Temple's another one that I like. I think Temple um, had a new coach last year, and I think they're kind of feeling their oats. Um, Memphis will be interesting, right, losing Mike Norvell. Memphis has always kind of been there. Um, so they'll be interesting how, th- how they do, but they're still uh, in, the, uh, in the equation with a lot of talent. And then Houston is that one, right? I like to see what, what they're going to do their second year now um, under their new coach uh, moving in the right direction. So just a few, but again – Way too early. I, I have no idea. I'm speaking off the cuff, but it is a great conference. It's one of my favorite conferences. Uh, I'm lucky I get to call uh, the majority of my games in, in the American, and so I'm looking forward to it. God willing, we'll have another great American conference season this year. Yeah, and Cincinnati and SMU yeah. also bring a lot of talent back and will be competing. I really, 
Well, you look at, in my opinion, looking at the conference um, on the east side, well, I guess there's not going to be divisions this year. But to me, the the biggest question marks besides East Carolina, you know, South Florida with a new head coach. I saw Vegas actually had them 101 odds to win the American. Uh, East Carolina and Tulsa were 50 to 1 odds. So Vegas not big on South Florida this year. Um, Tulsa showed a lot of improvement last year and have a good number of, of pieces coming back. And Coach Montgomery, Philip Montgomery down at Tulsa, you know, he's going to be coaching for his job this year. And uh, that's going to be really interesting. Tulsa, they were way better last year than their record indicated. They, they, were. they were a good football team. The best four-win football team in college football <laughs> or five wins, whatever they were. And they uh, – they could. They wouldn't surprise me this year if they didn't compete for the weather. Again, I keep wanting to say West Division, but for the American, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. You know, listen, I agree with you. Uh, Philip Montgomery is a very good coach, and for people that don't remember, when he first got to Tulsa, I think he went ten and three, and he won nine, ten wins one year, nine wins another year. So a lot of wins right away, showing that he could coach up the players that he had. And then they went into just as you, you kind of talk about, just into a lull. Uh, haven't done well last year, started to turn it around, was, was a better team. But I, I agree with you. He's probably coaching for his, his job this year. And just, you know, for those that haven't been to Tulsa, it's a, it's a beautiful place, uh, another tiny stadium, but a beautiful campus. What people probably don't know, it's, I think, the smallest um, FBS campus uh, in the country. I think it's like 2,400 students. It's small. Yeah. It's, 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 and, it's, and it's a very good educational school. So it's hard to recruit there. And I think that is what he has found out the last few years Years there. Uh, it's tough to get players in there, but he, he's doing the best job he can. But I agree with you. I think this is a big year for him and that program and, and for him in particular to keep that job. You were talking Another about program Mike. going to be interesting to keep an eye on is uh, in the Houston Cougars. Uh, obviously, Dana Holgerson, everything yeah. that went went on there in year one. Um, De'Eric King making the decision to – Hang it up after four games, and we most. Of, I mean, we knew he wasn't going to be back, and he obviously left for Miami. Um, they only won four ball games, and uh, they're paying Dan Holgerson four million dollars. So, uh, what do you think about the Cougars in year two of Holgerson? You know, and and last year I've said this multiple times. I don't think uh, there was enough publicity about the American and Houston getting a Power Five coach like Dan Holgerson. I thought that was a big deal. We, you know, the American and you guys see it. We're always losing coaches, right? They're always going the other direction. So the fact that they got a power five coach from a big 12 school, I thought was a big deal that didn't get enough recognition. Now he went in there. You want to talk about changing the culture, right? He's going to do things his way. He's been around a long time. And, and to be honest with you guys, I don't think De'Ara King fit his system. So I, I don't think, uh, I mean, listen, he's a great talent, but for what he wants at quarterback, and this is just my opinion, um, I don't think Derek really fit what he wants to do, the directions he's going to go. So I don't think it was a, a – I don't want to say it's a huge loss, but I, I think he's okay with it going another direction. I think he's happy for Derek that he's able to transfer and, and try to better himself at, at another program like Miami. So, yeah, but it, that is a fascinating place because um, he's got some talent down there as well. So I will be uh, very eager to see what, what he does as well. And, and who are we leaving out, guys? And they always get left out. Well, and they Cincinnati. End up winning. You well, we already Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati, yeah, we didn't talk about Cincinnati. I know, Cincinnati, but I know who you're talking about, Kyle. Yeah, all they ever do is blow us out and win nine or ten games every year, the Navy midshipmen. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, listen, when you 
run an offense like they do, right? And you run that triple option. Um, it's just I, I don't care how many times you've seen it in conference. You just you're not preparing for it, and it's just it comes up in the middle of the season, and you, you know you're trying to adjust, and uh, they run it like a just a smooth engine. And they got you don't want to talk about players with a chip on their shoulders. Remember, these guys are going to college really to graduate and go protect our nation, right? Protect our interests. None of those guys are thinking about going pro. So every one of them has a chip on their shoulder. They're all a little smaller. They're all a little undersized, but they all play their butts off. They do their jobs as you know, 11 players. And Ken Niamatololo is a good coach that has opportunities to leave multiple times who stayed. He's the longest tenured coach in the American. And he just, he just keeps it rolling, you know, and they got a new defensive coordinator last year, and that defense did play better. So you're right. I mean, but they're just, you know, other than, like, I think it was two years ago, guys, right? They only won three games, which was, like, crazy. Like, you never see that out of Navy, but they bounced right back the next year, and you knew they would. Yeah, and Navy's new defensive coordinator, his successor uh, is our new defensive coordinator. So the guy that go. took over for, for uh, well, God, what school was it, guys? Kennesaw, yeah, State. State. Kennesaw, Kennesaw State. I guess it's yeah. just Kennesaw now. I think they yeah, dropped Kennesaw the State. State. Yeah, yeah the, the, his, the guy who took over for him is Mike Houston's new defensive coordinator. So maybe we'll have similar success because Navy's defense was very good last year. Very good. And, again, and what we just talked about, not we're not talking about studs everywhere, um, but some players that just they understand their assignments. And they got a linebacker this year that they believe next year may be the first Navy linebacker drafted, I, I think, ever. So they got some players, uh, no doubt. And that's and what I, I was going to say, Dave, um, like Kyle was saying, with Blake Harrell coming in, um, that had to be uh, – it's one of those things that's probably a, it was a tough decision, but at the same time an easy decision in a sense to, to part ways with his mentor or one of his mentors and Bob Trott to bring in Blake Harrell. And listen, change is good, right? And Bob Trott, tremendous coach. I mean, he's coached – he's forgot more about football than the four of us know combined. Um, but he understands, too, Bob Trott does that. It's a business. Um, and Mike Houston understands that, too. And you got to get the right coaches in just like the right players. And so for him to make a change like that uh, at defensive coordinator, it's I think it's going to pay dividends. There's no doubt about it. Now – the million-dollar question is, and Dave talked about it a couple times here, you got to get the players in, right? you got to get, get the players in to work with them uh, to learn new systems and get ready to go. So I will say this, as far as learning new systems, much easier to put a defense in as it is to put an offense in in a short time. So defense is usually uh, easier to do. And I, I'm sure it was talked about, uh, Rennie. If, if, if somebody put a gun to your head, well, I shouldn't say you're a cop. I shouldn't, you shouldn't use that analogy. Well, maybe you should use gun. I, you know, maybe it is appropriate. <laughs> um, if somebody put a gun to your head and said, what's the start date going to be for college football this year in terms of playing, not practicing, yeah. what I would you – uh, I think we start on time. I really do. I think – and you guys may have a schedule in front of me. I have nothing in front of me. I think August 29th, there's a That's slate okay. of games. We're week zero game. He's Carolina yeah, Marshall. Week zero. I think we have games. I think, I think everyone talked about six a six week start to be able to go. So what's that put us in, guys, for the mid mid July? Yeah, I, I think we will get in training camps by mid July for those schools, and they'll fall into place. I think you're going to have kids on campus in June. I really do. I have no inside knowledge. This is my opinion based on what I've seen, kind of what I'm looking at in the landscape. The million dollar question is, Kyle, 
Will we have fans or not? That's really what I believe. I believe we will have football. It'll be on TV. Will we have fans or not? And if we do have fans, how many will we have? That's to yeah, me the million dollar question. That's kind of what I think too. I, I don't. I hope you're right about starting on time. I, I kind of thought maybe it may get pushed back to the end of September, but I hope you're right. Um, and, and it may well. I think we would all agree the most important thing is let's just have football. You know. Yeah, and, and I think maybe I came in and Bubble was talking about it. Uh, diminished capacity. I mean, a uh, fifty thousand seat Dowdy Ficklin. Maybe you you make the uh, you say fifteen or twenty thousand yeah. and. You distance six feet apart unless you rob together. Um, I could envision where you know they got these infrared thermometers that don't have to that you can just put in front of somebody's sure. head. Maybe we take temperatures going in the stadium. Um, I think that, they should make. I was going to say I think they should make Kyle sit out in the truck. No again. Um, I just wouldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Kyle, you're right. I mean, much like they're doing with restaurants now, right? We see like here in, in Florida. You can have 50% capacity, and then you got to hit thresholds. I can definitely see it. And that's something they've talked about. I mean, I, and I've, I said earlier, I don't know if you were on the call, I'm in constant contact with my bosses at ESPN. And, and you know, the smart people that run these companies, they have plans A, B, C, D, and E, and probably F and G. I mean, they have them all, and you have to be ready, right? Because as we move, what we're learning is we're learning new things daily, weekly, monthly, right? So as we get closer – you know, what do the doctors tell us? What does the science tell us? And that's really what's going to dictate uh, where we go. But right now, what I see nationwide, and I think California, I think uh, their governor, Gavin Newsom, just mentioned today that he is going to allow uh, pro sports to start June 1. So that is a huge oh, wow. reversal it, 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 in the state of California. Huge yeah. reversal from what he was saying a week ago. So we yeah. are, you know, every day things are changing. Um, so I think we're in a good position as long as we keep heading in this direction, right? I mean, obviously something unforeseen could happen, God forbid, and, and so that could change the course. But in the direction we're going now in this country, that's what gives me hope and, and, and optimism that we will have football and on time. How, how happy were your colleagues at ESPN to have at least NASCAR and UFC back the last two weekends? Well, and just by looking at Twitter, right, seeing people's response, it's like, you know, we – the last dance was great and we loved it. I think we all needed that. We needed that fresh content. And it was funny. I tweeted out last night. It was like, okay, 10 episodes, five weeks. It ended last night. I almost feel like, okay, the key should be turned and now the country should open because that's over. What are we waiting for now? But the good news is, you know, we had that, the driving relief for golf. I'm a big golf fan. So I watched it. It was just great seeing people compete live. And of course, NASCAR out there going. And then next week, guys, we're going to have what Mickelson woods, uh, you know, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. So that's going to be phenomenal. And little by little, UFC is getting out there. And because those are the questions, too, because I think what people need to, to figure out, too, is when we get football back and we have 120 kids, right, on a college team, I think it's safe to say inevitably someone is going to get coronavirus. I think we can say that. Guys, it's a virus. It's a respiratory virus, right? What we did by social distancing and staying at home, we flattened the curve. It's a virus. I'm not a doctor. I have slept in a Holiday Inn before. Um, but it's a virus from everything I've read, you know, and looked at. So I think it's naive to think that people aren't going to get it. But now with the science and what we know, it's how do we deal with it? I think two months ago, if you were on a team and you had coronavirus, they would have shut the whole team down. They would have quarantined 100 people. And now I think if someone gets it, 
you're, the, that person's going to go through different tests and that person's going to be quarantined. But I think the team can be tested safely and we can go on with a season. Um, and I think we've seen that. I think Dana White showed that with UFC because what happened? We had some, some fighters test, right? I think the night before they pulled them out and said, you're not fighting. But the event went on without a hiccup. So I think we can learn from other sports. And uh, so that's a, that's a good thing not overreacting because I think the overreaction in the sports world could really, really hurt us. No question about that. Speaking of uh, money, uh, we're talking about big money. I mentioned before this $2 million is the latest word I heard as far as how much Greenville would lose. That's how much we get every home game. And obviously we're losing some of it because people aren't going to restaurants and bars and, and things already because we had three years of Scotty Montgomery. Uh, a little bit back yet last year uh, with Mike Houston. But, um, I mean, we're looking at five straight losing seasons. So people depend on the Pirates to win, just like any other college town for that local team, fill in the blank. And for us, $2 million is a lot of money in the local economy. Well, not only that, you guys already touched on it. Look at what's happening to all the Olympic sports, right, at these other programs. You just you feel horrible uh, for these players. Now, I have two, two daughters. They're both uh, in high school. They're both – uh, play soccer and they both uh, aspire to play division one soccer. And, uh, just so you know, too, uh, people are going to say, Oh, it's just crazy. My daughter's getting re- my one daughter who's going to be a senior next year is getting recruited by ECU. So that's the school yeah. she's looked at. So, yeah, but that's women's soccer, right? So that's one of the sports that kind of looks to kind of be on a chopping block in some places. Now, thankfully for title nine for women's sports, they get a little bit more protected. Then we're seeing what's happening with some men's sports in some places, but you don't want to see any sports get cut in any of these schools. But unfortunately, that's a byproduct of what's happening with the coronavirus because of what you mentioned, Dave, right? They know they're not going to have the revenue and season taking some people coming. And then, guys, what other, what else is happening is enrollments are going to be down, right? Kids aren't sure if they're going to enroll. Are we going to have a fall semester? What am I going to do? And a lot of these programs, a lot of these schools have fees built in, right? They go to those Olympic sports. Right that they're not having anymore. So it's a, it's a tough situation all the way around. looks like what we're going to have to do guys. And we'll get back to football real quick. It looks like what we're going to have to do, uh, Rennie, I'm worried not only about you think about, uh, with small businesses, you look at, I mean, even hospitals, there's all kinds of things, but if you look at particular for universities, if you don't have those students there, like you were talking about, I worry about our school being East Carolina or fill in the blanket again, whatever school, because academically, You've got to have those kids on campus to have the meal plans. You've got all kinds of, you're talking about the fees. You have the, even parking stickers where at one point, I know when I was there, it was $100 a year. I don't even know what it is now, but that's non-refundable. So there's a lot of things like that. They were not even thinking about fees that if they're not there, then the money's not coming in. And there's some, we even have a ECU student stu- suing the university system for not getting a, what they think is a, I guess a fair or great education because they can't be, in other words, it's more than just uh, distance learning. Yeah. Well, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, and I think that's the big thing. So you're starting to see now when you, you, you read online and, and different schools are actually upping their start date for the fall semester. You see a bunch of schools now are going to go into class on campus in like mid August and they're going to get out before Thanksgiving. They're going to end the term, uh, before Thanksgiving, and then they're they're off again until the springtime, which I think is why. So you see schools are starting to think outside of the box because we know with a respiratory virus, right, the summertime inherently is better 
So I think a lot of these schools are thinking, okay, we're going to put kids back on campus because it's the best environment for them to learn what is the safest and best thing to do. Hey, let's start a month early. We'll get out a month earlier and we'll come back in the spring semester. So I like the fact that these schools are thinking outside of the box. And I want to say I read online every school in the SEC uh, has said they will have a fall semester with their students on campus. I want to say the state of Mississippi is the only one. So we got Mississippi, Mississippi State that hasn't committed to it yet. But as we see, a lot of schools are committing. and, and, And I think they have to make that commitment because of what we talked about, right? Because Kids want to enroll. Kids want to go. And so let's say, for instance, you want to go to ECU, but you say, I want to go to campus. I don't want to distance learn, but I want to go to ECU. And if ECU says, well, I'm going to have online, and then maybe that person got into North Carolina State, let's say, and that North Carolina State says, well, we're going to have campus, and they're going to go there, right? And I'm just making an example there. So I think that's what these schools are trying to do, jockey themselves in a good position uh, for the students and for their student body and to get, get kids in there. And you mentioned Mississippi. Uh, I have a, a buddy that's uh, down in Mississippi, Southern Miss guy. And uh, uh, the reason Mississippi hasn't announced it yet, uh, they're in a bad situation, man. They, uh, New Orleans, if you know the proximity to Mississippi, New Orleans, sure. um, a lot of people left New Orleans when they had their bad problem with outbreak and hit it north of Mississippi. And their governor was one of the last to put things on lockdown and, yeah, things aren't good in Mississippi right now. Yeah, so I mean, and so what they and the good thing with I think with the medical out there now, they can concentrate. They can go find out where their issue is, try to concentrate and harness it, and, and try and try to get better. Um, and that's the best thing they can do. And we'll wait and see. And and you know, like you guys, we pray for the state of Mississippi. We 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 pray for the entire country that we can all get through this. And and uh, obviously, we're talking about football, which is our love. But obviously, a lot of lives were lost and. Our, our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone. Um, and it's just, it's, it's unprecedented um, in, in our history, I think, in every aspect, right? In the economy, um, again, in, in life's loss and people sick and just, uh, it's, it's just crazy times for sure. Really, in addition, in addition to the Pirates and the American, I wanted to, I know last year you had the opportunity to call at least one App State game uh, up in Boone at the Rock. And so um, that program has been so consistent um, going back to the days of Jerry Moore and then S- Scott Satterfield, everything he did. Eli Drinkwitz comes in and has that one awesome year, wins yeah. those small games on to Missouri for him. Uh, but Sean Clark, I, I really like that hire. Um, I've, I've watched several interviews with him and he just really, I mean, one, he lived it as a player and then he yeah. lived it again as a coach and just, you can tell um, I think it's an awesome marriage, kind of like Russell McNeil was for East Carolina. I agree, and I think he understands the culture of App State. And that's, for anyone that hasn't been there, I think that's a bucket list type place to get up there. I mean, it's a beautiful drive up there. And that stadium on the rock, as you, as you talk about, um, that's a team, too, that a lot of talent. Now, App State fans, I probably shouldn't say this because they're going to hate me after I say this, but I did a game there. I did Jerry Moore's last game there. It was a playoff yeah. game they lo- they lost. And, of course, the game that you just mentioned, I did the Georgia Southern game on Halloween night this past season. And, of course, they lost, they lost that game. So they're going to hate me. They're not going to want me back up there. But it, I don't blame me. I blame Mike Corey, my play-by-play partner. It's all his fault, not my fault. But, no, that's a, it's, a, it's a great program. Um, I just I love that environment. They, they, we talk about a culture. That's a culture that knows how to win there. They just, 
they bring coaches in, they kind of reload and get going. So yeah, that's a great hire, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing them play uh, again this year. Have you have you had a chance to eat at the Daniel Boone Inn? I have, I have. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we went we went uh, the last time we were up there, and uh, that's I think that game. I, I, I tried to diet last year because when I you know traveling, it's so hard, guys. I mean, you just eat. I don't want to say eat bad because you eat good, but you eat bad. Um, and I always gain weight, so I've been trying to make a conservative effort to, to kind of tamp it down. But when you go uh, to Boone, North Carolina, you got to go to Daniel Boone, and you just can't miss it. So, yes, I have been there a few times. But taking, uh, I was going to say also, as far as, far as Appalachian's concerned, uh, looking at their schedule this year, they have a trip to Wisconsin and then also Wake Forest, uh, a great uh, – interstate rivalry that um, unfortunately hasn't taken place that much since the late ni- late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, so and just talk, and talk about them from the standpoint they have a veteran quarterback coming back, tremendous running game, uh, and ironically uh, they have East Carolina's former offensive coordinator from the Scotty Montgomery area, Tony Peterson, there now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see um, their commitment and how they continue to uh, run the football uh, with the loss of Darrington Evans, but they have a tremendous stable of backs and then some nice guys out wide as well. So just uh, talk yeah. about them and the way they've become kind of the Boise State of, of the Sun Belt, the way they've yeah. that conference. Yeah, and there's and there's no doubt that Appalachian State is a team, uh, is a program that can really dominate their conference, that Sun Belt Conference, year in and year out. There's no doubt about it. Um, I love the fact, and you mentioned it, when the, the group of five teams like the Appalachian States, uh, like the East Carolinas, when they get a chance and they go out there and they schedule the, you know, the quote-unquote Power Five teams, because if you ask a group of five school, they'll never call them Power Five. They like to call them the Autonomous Five. But I love when they go play those schools because, you know, you, you suit up. There's only 11 guys versus 11 guys at once, and you try to play those teams. And, and so a, a school like App State, that's how you become, right? the quote-unquote Boise State that we talked about. I mean, that put Boise State on the map, and I think that's the best way to do it, go out there and play them. And you mentioned the personnel that App State has. Um, you bring in a new coach and a, a few new assistant coaches, and, and so we know the talent's there. Now you just got to keep them moving in the right direction with that coaching staff, and I think they'll do that. I think they're the, it's the right hire, and so I'm looking forward to this season to see them keep climbing, but there's no doubt they are, they will be in it to win the Sun Belt each and every year. No question about it. In fact, Appalachian State, I think, Bubba, is that your favorite school? I'm the end of wonder there, Dave. <laughs> we give Bubba, that's an inside joke for people wondering. We, he's East Carolina's his favorite school. We just, we like to give him a hard time about that. One of his best friends is a, a baseball right. coach there at, at Appalachian State. So he knows more than probably he should, but, uh, Boone is very, uh, my freshman year of college, I was at Lee's McCray and transferred in my sophomore year to East Carolina. Uh, Boone is a beautiful, love it. And hopefully I can get back there this summer. A great place to visit. And it's actually a great place to live. A lot of great people. Sure up there. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, another that, one I love going to as well. Yeah. Wh- let me ask you this. Are there any places that you don't like to go? Can I put you on the spot? <laughs> yeah. Listen, you know, the funny thing is I am a football junkie. I really am. I mean, and I think that's why my bosses like me. If they give me a division three game in, you know, Minnesota, I'm going. And, and so I just love to call football. Um, let me think off the top of my head. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I think I will say this about Appalachian State. It's tough to get to. 
right? I fly into Charlotte and then you got to drive. And I don't mind, I don't mind those drives, but they can be tough. Um, uh, Sunbelt schools can be tough to get to. Um, but really, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind going anywhere. Um, there's some Mac schools, the Maction, let's, let's face it. It can be tough Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. There's not many fans there, tough places to get to weather's bad. Um, but again, I'm just happy to be calling college football, so I will go anywhere. But um, but there is nothing like going to a sold out Dowdy Ficklin Stadium or going to UCF that has 45 or 50 thousand. Going to like I did a Florida game this year. I mean, you know, you go into the SEC and you and you go to a place like the Swamp, and I think the game we had, I think they had you know 78 thousand, and people were like, oh, they didn't sell out. I'm thinking this is pretty pretty dang good. You know what I mean? So. Uh, that's that excitement, and that's what I hope we don't lose this year, right, with what's going on, but we will have to wait and see. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's what that's that's part of college football, the pageantry that I love when I travel the country. What is the worst Power 5 atmosphere? I would imagine I would imagine Duke and Wake Forest here in our state would uh, – would be right on the list. Uh, maybe, so, uh, maybe Illinois recently. And it's funny. So you mentioned all three of those schools. I've I've done games at all three of those schools. Not recently. I did Duke, Pitt, a few years ago with Jason Benetti. In uh, the atmosphere, it was a Saturday afternoon. It was it was okay. It, it wasn't great. I did a Wake Forest Virginia Tech game. Believe it or not, uh, about seven or eight years ago in Wake Forest, I think it was six and two, and I think. Uh, uh, Vatek was six and one, so that atmosphere was actually pretty good back then. And then Illinois, um, it, it was iffy. So yeah, I mean, the schools like that. And listen, guys, we've talked about it. Even at those places, I think if you're winning and you're winning at a good level, I think you'll get the fans out. I think those those places when you don't win, it's exacerbated, right? Uh, fans not showing up. So it, there's there's more of an emphasis on those schools winning. Um, I think than anyone else, and, and that goes pretty much for all the uh, many of the group of five schools. Hey, Rennie, yeah, there, we got some uh, viewer questions here. Carl DeFranco says, "Hey, Rennie, what about Wake?" So, and, and, and so, in full disclosure, I don't know much about Wake. I haven't done uh, much study on them at all. Uh, I know Dave Clawson's a very good coach. Uh, he has them going in the right direction. Uh, it's a program, I think. Again. ACC, listen, I think the ACC on a whole was down, right? I think we can all agree uh, on that. I mean, Clemson just far and away uh, uh, better than everybody. So I think the rest of the conference, it's kind of wide open. And Wake's one of those schools that's in there that's going in the right direction. So I am uh, interested to see what what Dave Clawson does, but I can't sit here today and give you any specifics other than uh, they're in it in the the ACC to kind of – compete with many of those schools i mean interesting what satterfield does at year two at louisville i would bet they'll be pretty good pretty fast yeah again another another really good coach um that i think did better right that first year out than i think people thought he would do Mm -hmm. there um it's a school um that i think uh is is very supportive of their football program great stadium i have called a game there i saw Lamar, lamar jackson in person there against virginia and the guy in in person is everything wow. you thought and think he was going to be and better. Um, so I, you know, I have that feather in my cap that I got to see him in college, but a great stadium, 
they've added on. And, uh, and, you know, in a lot of those programs where people think of them first and foremost as basketball schools, it's nice to see them get behind uh, football. Like I like to tell people all the time, you know, uh, football and basketball make the majority of the money for these programs, but make no mistake about it. Basketball is on the bus, but football is driving the bus. I always tell people that, so yeah. don't forget it. Got it. And a Louisville uh, former former East Carolina player uh, is co-office coordinator for Satterfield at Louisville, Dwayne Ledford, uh, his co-OC. So uh, keep an eye on that, Pirate Nation. And Bubba, I know we got another question from Johnny Gardner. Yeah, I was going to get to that in just a moment. But as far as Louisville, we've used that word culture numerous times in this broadcast and just talked about what Mark sure. Houston is doing with the culture in East Carolina. Now, I think it's a different type of culture situation at uh, Louisville um, with Coach Satterfield having taken over for Coach Petrino. Um, but I've heard that that was a tremendous culture overhaul there. Yeah, I could, ima- I could imagine, no doubt about it. Um yeah, and I, you know, the game I did, Bobby Petrino, and I tell people, people always ask me about coaches, and listen, I can only react to how coaches treat me and how I interact with them in meetings, and Bobby Petrino was was great with me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the culture is night and day. And, and, again, I think a lot of these programs, that's really what they need. They need a jump start going kind of in another direction because they can just kind of get complacent, right? And you bring in a new head coach um, that brings in – his mindset, his frame of mind, what he wants to do. And then, you know, let's make no mistake about it, guys. It's about recruiting. You need to get players in there. Once you get the right players in there and coach them up, you're, you're going to win in those places. You're just going to. I mean, look what Alabama does. Look what Nick Saban does. I mean, for years, you know, he, he's kind of – they've kind of evolved, right, with the time and times in, turn of, in, in terms of the spread offense and spreading out. But – at the, at the end of the day, Nick Saban plays dominant defense and he runs the football. That's what he always did. I mean, I don't care what kind of offense you run, spread, you can call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, you better play dominant defense and you need to run the ball at the end of the games to win, to put teams away. That I, I'm old school. People could disagree with me, but you need to do that. Even a spread offense um, will, 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 will tell you we will run the ball first. Um, and then spread it out, and you need to run to close games out. I, I tell people all the time, you throw the ball to score points, but you run the ball to win football games. And and for years, that's what Alabama has done, and they just keep reloading, right? It's almost like it's not fair of them. In, in Clemson, you see these teams in there, but um, you're starting to see some parity out there. There's a lot of good players out there, uh, you know, when you travel this nation, and, and now we you know we see so many high school games on TV, Um it's a matter of uh, of recruiting, and I think Satterfield at Louisville he's set up in a really really good position. Johnny Gardner asked one of our favorites, "Have you ever done a called a Mountain Union game?" Unbelievable, I have. Now I didn't do a home game, but I did their national championship game three or four years ago. Um, uh, so the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl, I did, and they won that game. So. Uh, that you want to talk about a dominant program. I don't know how many uh, how many people out there know about Mount Union, but it's one of the most dominant football programs, regardless of division. They're a Division three school, and it's crazy when you talk about Mount Union guys because they will get kids in Ohio, okay, that get full offers to go to Mac schools, and they will turn those scholarships down to go to Mount Union um, because they feel like they're going to play for a national championship. 
and they do. And it was, so when I did that game and you, I, I talked to a lot of those players, multiple players told me yeah, I had a chance to get a scholarship to go to this school and, and, and not just the Mac. I'm not trying to, to hit on the Mac, but that's in the vicinity where Mount Union is in Ohio. Um, and as Johnny's talking about a great atmosphere, um, it's just a great program. It doesn't matter. You insert coaches there and they got great talent. And listen, players have made it to the pros from Mount Union. So it's that old adage. They'll find you where you play. So, and listen, as a former player, it, 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 it's, it's very, it's an interesting discussion, right? Would you rather go to a division one school that maybe isn't doing as well? And then you're going to fight for three, four years to try to maybe get to a bowl game or maybe a conference championship or do you go to a Division three school that you say, this is a dominant school, and not only are we going to win our conference championship, we are going to uh, compete for a national championship each and every year. Because, guys, at the end of the day, I'm going to be 48 on Saturday. All we have as players is memories, okay? So, you know, it's an interesting thought. What are those memories? What are they going to be? You know, so, you know, and you get a national championship ring. I don't care what division it's at. You have that thing forever. So that, that's an interesting stuff. But that was a great question because great, great program, Mount Union. Hey, Rennie, as far as uh, the MAC is concerned, you you probably would want to go to Fort Union now even more with this the news coming out of um, the MAC last week. Very disappointing to see for the conference. Yeah, what would yeah, – re, rehash it for me. What exactly did they say last week? Because so much information has been flying fast and furious. Well, it didn't affect football, but uh, they're, they're – they're uh, making some changes. Uh, you alluded to it earlier about certain conferences. So they're one of them that are going to uh, eliminate conference tournaments. Yeah. Uh, we, we shrink the basketball tournament to eight teams, um, yeah. play more conference baseball games, um, just changes like that. Uh, really, I don't really think there was anything that affected football that I saw. Yeah, no, and I, yeah, and I do recall it. Like you said, yeah, sh- it shortened the schedules too. I know the Atlantic 10 who UMass plays in all their other sports than football, what they've done as a conference, I mean, I think they've eliminated probably 20, 25% of the games for those college or for those Olympic sports. So, you know, you're saying if you play a, if you play a 16 game soccer season, you're, you're talking about, you're only going to play 12 games now. You're going to get cut substantially. And I think they eliminated conference championships as well. So yeah, a, a lot going on. And you, you, you feel horrible for those athletes, because make no mistake about it, you know, we're talking about football here, and I'm a football analyst. Those athletes deserve as much as anybody else. They train as hard as any other sport. They put as much into it, and you just, your heart goes out for all those players and everything that's going to get pop, get cut back. And we haven't even talked about what the virus did to the spring sports, right? Before and all those, all those schools, all those, all those seasons got canceled, right? right. So you were a senior, and I know they said, uh, some can come back, but it's just it's it, it's devastated. This virus and what's happened has has you know besides the obvious that we talked about the the death and the sickness, which is in a level on its own. But as far as everything else in the sports world and just the school world, it has really devastated so many different people that couldn't graduate, couldn't go to prom in high school, can't finish their sports. Um, you know, all my kids, as I said, both my daughters play club soccer here um, in Florida. I mean, the club season's just like a switch got shut, got shut right off. But, I mean, we're starting to get emails, though. I believe my daughters will start back up with their club soccer um, probably within the next couple of weeks. They've put a plan into the state, and they have a plan of how they're going to run practices, 
how many, and so forth. So that's great news. One, to get back uh, playing sports, and two, to get my daughters the heck out of my house because they're driving me <laughs> bonkers, bonkers. <laughs> oh, could they say the same thing well, about you, Ernie? Well, I go to work every day, so they can't. Okay, okay. What they say when I come home is, Dad, you didn't do anything at work. I'm like, no, yeah, I did do something at work every day. So, um, yeah, but they need – listen, I'm, I'm trying to kickstart them in the butt because, as I told you, they both told me they want to play Division One soccer. So I, I, I'm trying to tell them what that entails, what you have to do to be a Division One athlete. They don't want to listen to Dad. I'm trying to spur them along, but eventually – What's the old adage? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. They kind of have, they're going to have to do it on their own. So we'll, we'll see if they fulfill their dreams. But, uh, but as a dad, I'm proud. I just love kind of getting involved, uh, in, in this whole thing. And that's why it was cool to me, um, when my daughter said, Hey, ECU dad is one of the schools, um, that I would, you know, like to, to play at if possible. So I know she's kind of been in contact with them and she's a junior. So she's kind of right in the thick of the recruiting process. So it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah. What about yeah, early Hamilton, Hamilton, the, the head women's coach on the uh, on the show? Yeah, get him on. And uh, and the good thing is, there's a girl from her club. If people don't know that are listening, uh, college soccer they don't recruit. The colleges don't recruit high schools. They recruit the clubs. I mean, that's where they play. Um, and they you play at the ECNL level, and that's where they recruit. So my daughter's club uh, team has a girl on the roster at ECU. So there's always those little connections. I think is how they get hooked up in the in the recruiting world. So it'll be it's it's interesting as a father sitting back, kind of watching the recruiting process. I, I often say God, I think, kind of blessed me with two daughters, kind of blessed me and cursed me at the same time. Um, you know, I'm not in the football world. I can do my broadcasting and sit back. And as you know, I'm a soccer dad. I kind of sit back and and, and watch and uh, and uh, see where that process goes. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. Now, when, when, when boys come to date your daughter, um, are you ESPN personality, Goya, or are you Detective Renan? So it's interesting. I'm both. I mean, they all know they all know I'm a police officer, um, but they think it's cool. I work for ESPN, so uh, I kind of have the best of both worlds. So I'm, a, I'm a nice guy. They come over here. Um, I have we, I have property in Orlando. I have about five acres, so there's always kids here throwing footballs around. I try to get out and throw it with them. Um, but they're always here, um, messing around on the property. So, uh, but they're, they're good. They're good kids. There's that old country song, uh, running out about cleaning your gun, Rodney <laughs> Atkins. I can see you like you're at home cleaning the gun when they're out on a date. <laughs> yeah. I, I, inherently, I think they know I'm a cop. So I think we're, I think we're good there. I think it's my daughters. I got to worry about those are the ones that are driving me nuts that I try to <laughs> instill a little discipline, uh, in them. I, I have a freshman and a junior and they, uh, they both drive me nuts. My 17-year-old got in a car accident together. I probably shouldn't say this. My insurance company's probably listening. But uh, she rear- you guys will love this story. Um, she rear-ended a boat. How do you rear-end a boat? A guy trailering a boat. And it was a very expensive boat. So uh, I wasn't happy to say the least. But no one was, was it hurt. Night? No one was hurt. So that's the main thing. Was it night? No, it wasn't at night. Uh, the boat uh, pulled up to a stop sign, and she being, you know, a, a new driver, uh, oh. she said, Dad, he started to go, and what he probably did, because he was trailering a, uh, a very expensive, very big boat, he probably crept up through the stop sign. She thought he was going to go. She started to go. He didn't go. And she hit a very, 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 very expensive outboard engine. And we'll leave so- it at that. 
That's okay. why we have insurance, though. That's why we have insurance. <laughs> more I ESPN can laugh, games. Can laugh about it now. <laughs> You're gonna have to do more ESPN games, right? Well, I told my boss jokingly, but I was like, "Boy, we have to have football because I can't afford my insurance premiums." If I told you guys what my premiums were, you would all three fall out of your chair. So I'm not even going to mention. What I they can are. only imagine. I'm not even going to mention. Wow. Randy, I had one more uh, football-related sure. question for you. Um, back traveling to the ACC, I wanted to ask you then. Um, you you played at UMass, so kind of your neck of the woods when you were a player. Uh, Boston College kind of surprised me when they fired Steve Adazio last yeah. year. Um, I thought he was a solid coach, maybe stuck at that kind of six seven win total. But I thought I think he's a solid coach. It's it, it, but then it almost surprised me just as much that he immediately got hired at Colorado State. So. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that situation. Yeah, Steve Adazio is a good coach. His defensive coordinator for a long time was a guy by the name of Jim Reed, who was my first coach at UMass, uh, who has coached, you know, at Iowa, coached at uh, the Miami Dolphins, kind of coached everywhere. And it's funny, we just just talked to him on a Zoom call. Um, So, yeah, good coach and Steve Adazio that got a job. Listen, I think a lot of programs, and we can, I think we kind of touched on this, it's kind of that curse, right, with athletic departments and fan bases where, you know, if you win six, seven, eight games, it's not enough for programs, right? Um, they want 10, 11 wins, and it's like, boy, sometimes you just have kind of got to understand where your program is, and I understand the frustration. Um, but what I'd say is as I travel and see different programs and call different games, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It, it's it's tough in a lot of these these power conferences, and I think I think Boston College and I think Syracuse both kind of when they left and came to the ACC, I don't think it's gone as smoothly in a hole as they would like it to. Um, but again, we talked about it. I think the ACC last year uh, in in totality was was down. I think. I think, and I think uh, Mike Oresco said this multiple times. He said it to me in private, but I think he has said it uh, publicly as well. If you would have taken UConn off their games right off last year and didn't count them in for the American, I think their rating, strength rating, the Americans was higher than the ACC's um, last year. Um, so, I mean, I mean, yeah, Clemson, you just took Clemson away from the ACC. Even you worse. Take Clemson out of the equation. ACC versus the American head-to-head, uh, I tell you what, I, I'd like our chances. Yeah, and, and I would agree with you, too. And I think the ACC needs to step up. I did Pitt last year in their bowl game, uh, which was an exciting game uh, uh, at Ford Field. They beat Eastern Michigan at the end. Um, but that's another team there that needs to, you know, kind of up the ante. You can't be, you know, you get to a bowl game, you want to beat a Mac school, you know, by a lot. You don't want to win at the end. Um you know, win's a win, but, you know, you got to set you your – You just mentioned my favorite coach in college football, Chris Creighton. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about energy and a culture. Um, he does a nice job there. Another tough place to recruit. How the heck do you recruit there? But he's been able to turn that program around. That's a guy there that I think – Chris Creighton, I don't see Eastern Michigan keeping him. He's, a, he's one that's going to be mentioned, and he's going to be off to another job, unfortunately, for Eastern Michigan. Yep. And, Randy, very quickly before I get to uh, our final question for you, uh, Mike Radford chimes in. Uh, he, he had two sons that played at Richmond. Yeah, um, there you Jim, go. Jim Reed uh, was the coach there uh, for one of them. And then, and then of course, uh, Mike London after that. Yep. But uh, 
So uh, just talk about it. For, did you know Coach Reed? I do know Coach Reed. So uh, my backstory quickly, guys, I got recruited in 1989-90 really high in, in high school. I was a top running back. I basically, and this was back before they gave offers out, you know, ninth, 10th grade, crazy stuff. But I basically had offers from Wisconsin, Syracuse, uh, Boston College. Those three were kind of what I was narrowing it down to. Um, and that's when Syracuse was a national power. Boston College was much better. Um, and Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez had just taken over. I blew my knee out my senior year, lost all my scholarship offers. I'll never forget it. I tell people this story all the time. I was a 18 year old, just turned 18 year old senior and I'll never forget it. Uh, the coach for the university of Wisconsin, a guy by Barry Wyatt, he came to me and he said, um, and this is a team, this is a school that basically offered me a scholarship. They said, it's like you go to a dealership to buy a new car. You go to that dealership and you, you see the car you want. You pick out the car and you say, there's the car I'm going to buy. Well, you go back a month later to buy that car and there's a dent in it. Well, you don't care how the dent got there. It, there's a dent in it. You're going to buy the next best car right, that's sitting right next to it. And that's the, wow. way, that's the way recruiting is. So I didn't get a scholarship. They took the next best running mate that they wanted. So I didn't have any scholarships. But Jim Reed and UMass was the only school that gave me a full ride. Jim Reed used to coach under Dick McPherson, uh, the late great coach at Syracuse. It's in the College Football Hall of Fame, of course, coach with the New England Patriots. Uh, Jim Reed was a protege under Dick McPherson. And Dick McPherson called him and said, give this kid a scholarship because they recruited me at Syracuse. So uh, I, I got to play for Jim Reed for a year. Unfortunately, he left UMass before I could actually play for him. But uh, I can tell you this, Jim Reed, Without a doubt, out of every coach I have ever been, ever been associated with, high school, college, or pro, has more integrity than any coach I've ever dealt with. He is a great man. I can't get into it. We don't have enough time. He single-handedly saved the UMass program for some wow. things he did in the early 90s. A great, great coach. Went, went on, was a head coach at Richmond, VMI, defensive coordinator, I said, at BC, at Iowa, was with the Miami Dolphins. But a great man, and I did. I got to talk to him two weeks ago on Zoom uh, he's not coaching anymore because, as I said, he was with Adazio, didn't go out to Colorado State. He's he's living in the Boston area, and I think you know he's in his seventies now, so he's probably going to enjoy life a little bit. But a great, great coach is Jim Reed, the type of coach that if I had a son, I would want him to play for Jim Reed. All right, ready? Uh, early happy birthday to you! Thank you so much for spending a lot of time with us. We didn't. Uh, we I looked at the clock here, like wow, we've uh, gone long. We thank you so much. Listen. And- I appreciate it, guys. I wish – one thing I feel bad, I didn't have more specifics for you, but next time I okay. come on, we're going to be dialed in, whatever conference, American, ACC, we'll have specifics for you, for your fans. We're going to freaking hone in on this thing, and we're going to have football in 2020, guys. Let's just start practice, and then we can Let's go from there, it. right? All right. Thank you, Rennie. Have a great night, well. and uh, keep the seats, uh, the streets safe in Orlando, my friend. You got it, guys. Thank you. All right. Good night. Thanks. All right, guys, great show as always, and we'll have another show on Wednesday night, right, Bubba? Yeah, we will. Um, actually, um, tomorrow, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Yeah, tomorrow we'll be we'll be talking to Billy Weaver. Uh, obviously, folks who follow East Carolina know Billy Weaver um, with WITN and also uh, back in the days, um, those um, broadcasts that we would have on, on WITN. Uh, so in addition to Billy Weaver, we'll also catch up with a guy named Josh Rudd. Does a tremendous job um, covering baseball on a number of levels. Um, he has excellent footage on his YouTube channel of 
top high school prospects and then also uh, some of the, the top um, college prospects that are out there, maybe going from the JUCO ranks to Division One, And uh, he, he's talking to Division One head coaches, assistant coaches, has an excellent sure. series right now. Uh, me growing up a Braves fan, um, those tremendous pitching staffs throughout the 1990s with the likes of Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, Avery, et cetera. Um, uh, he's talking about those guys. It's called Learning from Leo, uh, Leo Mazzoni. Uh, at least a two, maybe three-part series. Uh, so definitely right. um, check out our interview with him. And then uh, what I was going to bring up, guys, um, before we let Rennie go, um, but I didn't want to be right back, guys. Um, Brett, Brett McMurphy uh, from Stadium, obviously uh, formerly of ESPN, does a tremendous job staying on top of things, so well-connected. Uh, Kyle, you may have seen this, but uh, he put this out there today about one thirty, two o'clock saying that uh, Middle Tennessee State Athletic Director Chris Massaro and then also football coach Rick Stockstill will hold a public Zoom webinar on Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern time um, called Moving Forward with Football. So uh, I'm going to try to check that out on Wednesday. And that's 1 o'clock Eastern time uh, on Wednesday, May the 20th via Zoom. So uh, we'll put that link for Moving Forward with Football with Middle Tennessee State out on our uh, social media accounts on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram. Interesting. Uh, Stogstall, of course, coached at East Carolina briefly under John Thompson and was almost our head coach uh, when we hired Coach McNeil. Uh, things just didn't work out with him and Holland in the contract. But uh, so that's uh, – and uh, also the uncle of Bobby Good, former East Carolina wide receiver. So yep. uh, that's uh, interesting. To, uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to watch that. I will maybe watch it in replay. But I won't be able to watch it live. Yeah, but that's uh, that's interesting to to see that uh, they're doing that and what kind of ideas they're going to have with uh, trying to get football uh, restarted. And um, just wanted to say about Renee, man, one of the nicest guys. Dude's really? you know been with ESPN for years, and every time he's on, he's one of the nicest people we talk to. I knew that was going to happen. We we almost made it through a whole show without saying that. Did I do it? <laughs> it's your fault, babe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, that's classic. It's no compliment him. I call him freaking Renee. <laughs> Rennie, we love you, man. Thank you to Rennie and Goldie. Uh, Kyle from the Graves Bar with Bubba. You guys are awesome. And we look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow night. And we're going to put this out on wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And obviously, be archived on Facebook Live and our YouTube channel. And you've been listening to and watching the Sports Objective. Go Pirates. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to the Sports Objective podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective. And the objective is sports.